Can't, can't clarify this enough. <laughs> Lock your grandparents in the basement. You are not prepared! Then you couldn't look, there was no internet to look the shit up on. Everyone loves Dick. Are uh, you Dick Racing? <laughs> what? Did we just become best friends? Yup! I love you too, man. <laughs> wow, that was smooth. Prologue. Our, our Sith, our... Our, our dark reptilian master, we love you. We'll do anything for you. Today, we hope to please you with uh, some more metal Pantera history, sir. Yes, give me more of that music. Oh, I love that music. Music! I'm glad <laughs> uh, you're happy for it, sir. Uh, so we're going to continue talking about Pantera. Uh, so I hope you enjoy it, sir. Please don't kill me. Anthony, keep Yo. him on track. No, I can't do that. <laughs> I might die on this episode, folks. Welcome to Pantera Part 2. Welcome to What an Oddcast. I'm Jared Minikheim. With me, as always, the robotic Anthony Denny. Hello. And uh, the reptilian uh, lizard man himself, uh, Seth. How you doing? Hello. I'm doing excellent. And, you know, that robot over there sounds pretty good as a robot. I mean, damn. <laughs> I take pride in my work. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, we're going down the rabbit hole of more Pantera today, gentlemen. Uh, last episode we left you off. Uh, we went over all of their origin, their hair metal glamorous origin. Yeah, uh, that was fucking amazing. Oh, it's going to get even better, Anthony. You're going to really enjoy the cr- the crazy shit that unfolds coming through here. Um, so yeah, we're going to pick right back up. So they're going into the studio. They're making Cowboys from Hell, uh, which coming out in 1990, I mean, it was a, it was a shock for people. Uh, the, uh, the, you know, the one thing I was actually talking about it with, uh, with my father, Mr. Fiend Gotts there, uh, and we agreed on, uh, it was very Iron Maiden influence. Uh, Phil had a lot of inspiration off of Rob, Hel- uh, Rob Halford and... Uh, Iron Maiden. So that was a lot of the vocal work he had, that higher that higher note. Seth, Anthony, I'm sure you both know what I mean when it comes to that album. Of course. I listened to like three three songs from that soundtrack within the last weekend. Yeah, but it all, and it also had the mix of Out of my own free choice. <laughs> yes. Uh, and you also had a, a mix of what was to come out of them. Uh, songs, uh, you know, because you had songs like Heresy. I'm pretty sure I sent you guys that one, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's the part where I, you agree. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, and that one has a lot of, like, the higher note. Like, yeah, I sent that one that he sent uh, Primal. Primal Concrete Then he sent, like, Primal Concrete, Percy, Rise, and uh, fucking Hostile. Yeah, we'll get to the other two, but right now we're going to focus on Primal Concrete Sludge and Heresy. Uh, and they're both contrastingly different, uh, the styles that were approached. Uh, one, Primal Concrete Sludge is very heavy. Very in-your-face, up-front kind of thing, uh, which was a sign of what, what they were going to be doing. And then you had Heresy that stuck more to what they were doing before, which is more of an Iron Maiden-esque high-note song. Uh, Anthony, what are your thoughts? Um, my thoughts that is very, uh, yeah, it's very much like Iron Maiden. It has intensity to it, and is kind of, uh, is oddly softer and yet harder than their future stuff at the same time. 
All right, we're giving uh, giving good answers, gentlemen. I think we're all going to make it here just fine. <laughs> uh, so Are you testing us to see if we actually listen to it? Yes, I was. Uh, so here's a quote from Rex Brown: uh, "Cowboys was a natural progression for us uh, from an '80s power from '80s power from '80s power metal, uh, which was catchier and not as heavy." I've thought about this a lot. If we had come out with vulgar display of power first instead of Cowboys from Hell, it would have been a complete change. And uh, I don't think Pantera would have lasted uh, as long as we did. Uh, so yeah, uh, that's that's how he uh, how Rex feels, and really honestly, how the rest of the band feels too. Is it just it was the in between point of what was to come and what they had been. Uh, it's a, it's an interesting album to say the least. Uh, so where we left off last time going into this is they they got arrested. Why did they get arrested? Because they got into a fight with a bunch of officers. <laughs> because why because not? That's just the kind Pantera. of people they are. Exactly, uh, and then I they're feel going like you can't be a rock star. I feel like you can't be a rock star without causing some kind of mayhem, unless you've been to jail. Is that what you're trying to say? <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. You know, I hate to say it, but that's. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I feel like Ozzy was a rock star, and he didn't do any mayhem ever. So going into making the album, uh, the guys had gained a following in Texas for the past four albums that they put out, which we covered over last episode. Uh, before they played six shows a night and tried to make uh, and kind of tried to make a name for themselves. So you know, six shows a night. Uh, they're not really doing a whole lot of anything uh, at this point. They could do a show and grab two thousand people a night. So <laughs> the boys decide, why are we playing six shows a night? We don't have to play six shows tonight. We're gathering 2,000 people everywhere we play down, and this is down in the south, Texas, Louisiana, that area, and they're getting huge. They're like, all right, well, you know what? Why don't we make a new album? So the boys started lis- uh, had been listening to Slayer, Metallica, Merciful Fate, you know, all, all the thrash guys before them, uh, Megadeth being in there, and uh, it helped uh, try to help them find a path of what they wanted their next album to be. Uh, the progression of what Pantera was to become. Uh, so it's like a butter, it's like a caterpillar getting in a cocoon, and he's just listening to metal, and he's going to transform into something <laughs> new. <laughs> and it's yeah. just an angrier caterpillar. <laughs> <laughs> just, it's an angry cocoon. It's all covered in razor blades and nails, and it's just waiting to attack something. That's <laughs> that's what that equivalates to. Uh, so the pro- uh, process for recording was a major reason why the album caught on. Uh, because, uh, so how do I put this? So when you guys listen to it, did you notice that the bass and the guitar tend to just kind of seamlessly go together? Yeah, it seems like it's like well done. I'll yes. be honest, I wasn't too focused on the bass and the guitar in, in synchronicity. I was just listening to the song as a whole. Uh, well, that's a fair point. Okay, I get it. Well, well, you know, it was sounding like it sounded like a beautiful orchestra where, you know, if you just listened to it, it got lost in it, it'd be really awesome. I just wish I had a better stereo because I have a shitty TV that does not, you know, do justice to the songs. Oh, boy. oh God. This is what I'm dealing with, folks. We love all of you. <laughs> love all of you out there. Thanks for tuning in, all you beautiful people. I see you. You can see it right now through your camera. Uh, but no, so what would happen is Vinnie Paul would do the drum track, right? And then his brother Daryl would right. come in, and he'd do the guitar based off of that. Then they would have Rex come in and do the bass, but they would take the drum track out. 
and it would just be him and Vinny playing. So he would play, he would go his bass based off his guitar, his guitar based off the drum. Make sense? Yeah. Interesting. Yes, uh, and that's what helped uh, develop what they would end up calling groove metal and develop their, their significant sound of what Pantera was. That's, oh, a, that's a strange way of calling it, groove metal. That's their style. And you know what they called the, the way that they made the recording with the whole like taking the drum kit out and whatever? What? They called it the microscope. Interesting. <clears throat> Because they would, you know, they'd zoom in on what they needed. So the guitar, the drum, whatever. Uh, so anyway, and this, and they didn't, as they put it, they didn't have big fancy equipment. It was like literally getting a razor blade out. You cut this part off and then we're going to re-record on this, blah, blah. Like we didn't have big fancy shit. We were just a bunch of kids who really enjoyed what they were doing. So yeah, you know, inspiration. Yeah, it's like a very similar situation. Very similar situation. Maybe. Uh. You know, maybe I I don't know about that one. No. Uh, so at this point, you think that you know they're doing the shows, they're gathering a lot of people, they're working on a new album. Guys, they must have a lot of money, right? Like they've already made four albums before this. They're big rock stars. Oh. Uh, right. I was here they're last signed, week, so I know the answer. They're signed oh, to okay, Astro well. Records. They have a producer. They're doing great. Well, that shit costs money, though. I mean, yeah, know, man, they're they big make rock stars. They, they make four their... albums. <sighs> so, what did happen? Because I'm sure they spent all their money on something ludicrous, right? Oh, oh, have I not mentioned before how much that Pantera loved a fucking party? Yeah, there it is. <laughs> How much did they love the party? <laughs> they would spend uh, pretty much every penny they had go- when they were out on tour doing shows on alcohol. <clears throat> and they would just party their ass off and play shows. So at this point, uh, it's Rex Brown says, uh, at one point, me and the roadies actually got jobs doing lighting for the fashion runways uh, to help pay the bills <laughs> while we were doing the recording. Oh, uh, and also a quote from him is that it actually, you know, paid the bills. You know, we got some on the side. So, I mean, it was an, it was a win-win. <laughs> so, that, that's what him and a roadie are doing. That's not what Remember I expected. Kid. Right? Remember, kids, if you go into the Rockstar Live, just, you know, just make sure you have either a good savings account and you don't touch it, or you have a good manager to, you know, separate your finances from your party life because... It goes fast. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, they're doing that. And, uh, you know, the boys, they don't have a lot of money, but they're recording that album. They're putting all their heart and soul into it. Um, but yeah, they, they had like no money to their name. They blew all their money. They were young kids. They were like, you're thinking like early twenties. They're like 20, 21. You know, they're young guys. They have no fucking idea what they're doing in that regard. Um, <clears throat> Another thing that would happen uh, throughout throughout their entire career, uh, Daryl, uh, he he would keep a recorder and a guitar in the bathroom at all times. And when Vinny asked him about it, he's like, "Yeah, man, that's where I do all my thinking. That's why all my riffs are the shit." <laughs> <laughs> and and believe it or not, that is. <laughs> well, believe it or not, that actually is where a lot of their signature things come from. Uh, the Cowboys from Hell Rhythm. Uh, the some songs that come uh, later on the next album are 
used a lot from things like that. Uh, so that that's something that ends up becoming real useful for them as the years go on. Uh, so he actually brought in the Cowboys from Hell, uh, the signature guitar riffs out of there, and he kept playing them at a higher register. Uh, and eventually that became what the song was. Uh, we also have the song Cemetery Gates off this album, another huge iconic song for them. Uh, it started getting them some notice. They made a music video for it. MTV was big. So they were getting plays on there. People were spreading word. Uh, but when they were recording Cemetery Gates, uh, Dime got stuck. Uh, so Daryl, he got stuck making the entire song. He had the heavy intro for it, but he's like, I just feel like it's out of place. It, it's just a, a build up out of nowhere. So what ends up happening is Rex comes in and he plays a riff he had been working on in the acoustic guitar, which is the signature opening to Cemetery Gates now. And he also did some piano, but played it in reverse. Ooh. And thus the opening to Cemetery Gates was born before Daryl's uh, heavier riffs come in. Did you just say a piano? Yes. <laughs> a piano. That's that's, <laughs> yes. that's really weird. Interesting. It's uh Right? It's interesting. It, you, yeah, such a good song though. Like that that is one song off that album I will definitely give credit to is like it is still to this day great fucking song. <laughs> uh so the only now, song you'll give go... credit to, right? <laughs> what? That's the only song you'll give credit to. The rest of them are crap, apparently, right? No, no, no. I like that album. It's <laughs> it's a weird fitting album. Because uh, I like Iron Maiden and things, and it just it has a weird place. But uh, before we get too far into that, Anthony, thank you very much. You're welcome. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about their new producer, Terry Date, who has shown onto the scene. Uh, Date was an extremely nervous person meeting the boys. Uh, <clears throat> uh, so this is what he had to say. I was this northerner. They were supposed to overlook and run run this tough, rough bunch of Southerners. And here I am, just this quiet Northerner. And at which Rex Brown had to reply, he was a real quiet guy. He had this ball cap and glasses and looked like a typical nerd. He was just real <laughs> keep-to-himself <Nerd>. type. <laughs> yeah, I listened to an interview of him today, and he was just like the most soft-spoken guy ever. Yeah. yeah. Insanity. Um, so what ends up happening is uh, the boys pull him into the fray the same way that they do with fucking everybody. <laughs> Anthony, do you remember what they've done with every fucking member that's joined? Uh, tie him to a train track or other dick into the sunrise. What the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> Seth, do you have a guess of what might be ha- of what might happen here? Something we've already mentioned, which should be obvious. Drugs. Well, let's see. Let's see. Yeah, I'm gonna say. Well, maybe not drugs, but party. If you can't, maybe drink. Yeah. Drink to three o'clock in the morning. If you can't, if you can't hold your liquor, you're not going to beat the boss. <laughs> That's exactly what so, happened. They have some beers with them, and they chat for a while, and then uh, what ends up happening? Phil pulls him into the bathroom, hands him an electric razor, and goes, "Shave my head." Which he does. <laughs> he he shaves half of Phil's head, uh, completely shaven, giving him the signature look from this album. And uh, because of that, he forms a bond. <laughs> nah, that's how you do it. It's a real man bonding right there. Yeah, just have him shave your head. <laughs> Everything uh, it could be, actually, you know. Uh, well, it, it works out for them. 
uh, because Terry Date himself actually pushes the boys with every song that they make. Uh, he'd come out with a, you know, he'd give them criticism back. Like, I like that riff, but speed it up a little here or tone this down a little bit there. The drums are a little off here. Um, and ultimately, he pushed them to make the breakthrough ground, or sorry, groove metal sound that Pantera would be known for. You know, we we wouldn't have Pantera the way we had it if it hadn't been for Terry Date giving him the notes on, like, okay, that sounds really good, but if we just move this here, or it, it's fucking amazing. Uh, so they I give a lot you were of about to say groundbreaking, breaking, stuff. groundbreaking, breaking, breaking, break, break, breaking, breaker, 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 one nine. Uh, <laughs> Seth Breaker Breaker One Nine, are you still there? Uh, this is uh, Gecko. Uh, no, we have some turbulence over here. <laughs> and then Seth died. Man, right on air. How amazing. Uh, so now Cemetery Gates. <laughs> Cemetery Gates was a song that was written about the death of Phil Anselmo's ex-girlfriend. Uh. The song was a standout on the album, being a seven-minute ballad on the album. Uh, but Phil didn't want the Phil didn't want the song to sound cheesy or cliche. Uh, that he's like, you know, everybody's done some kind of love ballad thing. I didn't want it to fall in the same category, uh, which is what leads to uh, the way they laid everything from the ground uh, from the ground up. So the way the drums sounded, the way the guitars were going, that opening with the acoustic piano mix. Uh, that was just to try to make it differentiate itself, uh, which I'd say worked out. I think it worked out I quite agree. nicely. But then there's the other tracks we mentioned uh, we were starting to talk about before there, uh, like Clash of the Reality, Psycho Holiday, uh, Heresy that I sent you guys. Uh, those were songs that showcased the Pantera that we knew before. Like, the ones that were on the past four albums, the the Iron Maiden-esque style in there. That's Don't forget uh, the glam metal. And the glam metal. That is correct. Um, <laughs> it's not something that I think anybody likes to admit, least of all them. You know, just my thing. Uh, but then we also have the other songs. So, like, I sent you guys up. Primal Concrete Sledge. Uh, there's also Domination in that album, uh, which is another one of those songs that just kicks your ass, and it, it it's more along the lines of what they would come to do later. And I, I love those songs too. Like I love that album. I can't express enough to, to both of you. I do like this album. Uh, and this album, Cowboys from Hell, uh, is released June twenty fourth of nineteen ninety, and was a massive hit for them. Obviously, as we were just talking about, it fucking grabbed a hold of everyone in the metal scene. Because at this point, you have Metallica's like their their album that they they end up putting out is the Black Album. I'm sure we all know this one. Enter Sandman. Nothing else matters. Yeah, I think you'd have to be on a rock if you didn't hear that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's more of a... It, it was more of just like a soft core 
version of what everyone was used to from them being the thrash metal people that they were. Um, and then out, out of nowhere comes Pantera. And people are like, oh, this is interesting. This is like a mix of, the, of, of old and there's some hints of something new here. Uh, it just grabbed people, in, <laughs> it grabbed people in the right way. So I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. You're saying like and, new uh, metal? New metal did come out of this. There's a lot of new metal that does get inspired. Korn uh, quotes Pantera as being a huge influence on them because of the things that would come in the next album. But here on Cowboys from Hell, uh, so they came out with this DVD set, uh, which kind of shows you behind the scenes of these early days. They had like a broken down van and they just went on tour. They started driving everywhere. They were like doing repairs on it as they went and had a fuck ton of beer and they would just drink like, oh no, the van headlights are out. Well, I guess somebody's going to have to just keep driving and we're going to keep doing our thing. That was how they started out on tour. They were just like, fuck it. Let's get the name out there. <laughs> Damn. And uh, they went out on their first tour with Exodus and Suicidal Tendencies, uh, two big bands out of the 90s. If you're a metalhead, you know exactly. You probably know exactly who they are, Exodus being another one of the thrash metal, uh, thrash metal bands there. Uh, and the crowds seemed to start expanding for them in the area because, you know... Uh, as I said, they were just, they were good in that southern area, right? They were dominating Texas, Louisiana, all that shit. And they're like, yeah, it's fucking awesome. Now, they started to gain so much headway. They remember, remember how I said that Phil Anselmo was a huge fan of Iron Maiden? I do remember. Well, <laughs> they made so much noise coming out of the metal scene that Rob Halford himself, the lead singer of Iron Maiden, wanted to meet the boys. And he was actually uh, staying at a hotel. He heard they were coming into town. So he started calling everyone. Like, hey, do you know where I can find these guys? Hey, do you know where I can find these guys? Hey, I heard you know a place. Track them down to where they were and a approach them about joining the European tour and being his opener. Sweet. <laughs> so they nice. just went from we're going to play this area to they're going to Europe to open for Iron Maiden. <laughs> And remember, kids, this is back in the 90s. There's no, yeah. <laughs> there's no cell phones. Oh, well, there's I mean, no cell phones. There's no internet. Yeah, there's like, yeah, no Facebook, nothing. You, you had to do some serious investigating work to do that. <laughs> you had to make phone call after phone call to find these fucking people. Uh, so, yeah, uh, and they agree. Because, I mean, why are they going to deny that? Like, dude, we just got asked by Iron Maiden to open for them in Europe. When, where else are we going to get this chance? Fuck yeah, we're going to go. Yeah, that didn't go so well for them. <laughs> no? No. So, so, <laughs> so remember how, uh, you know, we were just saying they were dominating that southern area. But now they're going everywhere. They said they got over to Europe and they were absolutely hated. They were shitted on. <laughs> they're like, Europe wanted nothing wow. to do with us. <laughs> Uh, so they do that tour and then they leave. There's actually an interview where they're like, why are you guys leaving the tour? I thought Iron Maiden was going to blah, blah, blah. And they're like, yeah, you know, we got like a modeling thing. We got to get back to back home. You know, we're, we're hot models now. Got to get back to America. <laughs> like they make their jokes, but you know, like they spent all their money on booze and they were just getting booed on. So they were like, eh, go back to the U S so like, we'll go back to where we're known. But there is one thing that comes out of this is uh, Vinnie Paul actually had a saying for everything like this. 
uh, there would be points where Phil's like, man, I don't even know if this is worth it anymore. Like, do we even deserve to be here? And he told him, and I don't care if there's 10 people. I don't care if there's 100 people out there. It is our fucking job to go out there and kick their fucking asses every night. Word will Bam. spread. <laughs> and indeed, word did spread. Like, uh, you know, obviously they came back and they started hitting up again, started touring. They toured for almost an entire year for this album. Uh, Rex uh, Rex uh, recalled it as about 338 days, and they took maybe three weeks off, and then we're back in the studio. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so the Iron Maiden stuff didn't go so well for them. Uh, they come back, and uh, as I said, they take their take a little bit of time off to collect themselves after doing all their tours. And uh, then they get right back into the studio to start working on their next album. And their idea for this album is they want to kick fucking ass. Ooh. Yeah, they want to take no more prisoners. Uh, they want to prove to everyone that they can be something and that they're going to make a name for themselves. And this is all about August... Uh, so we'll say August 1991. Uh, there was a lot going on going into this album. Can we, we'll just start there. <laughs> all right? Okay. Uh, because going into making this, they wanted to do a lot of different stuff. All right? You guys ready for this? Oh, yeah. To give you an insight of the level of stress that the band was under making this, Terry Date told Phil Anselmo he had only seen one other artist ever break multiple chairs over not getting his vocals just right the way he wanted them to. (laughs) That person was Chris Cornell. Wow. Yes. Chris Cornell, huh? That is what Terry says. So, they're, basically what happened is they got back there a little bit earlier than uh, Terry did. They recorded some demos for things like uh, A New Level, Hollow, Demons Be Dri- uh, by Demons Be Driven. Uh, these were things that they wrote some demos for. Terry got in and he's like, alright, let's start working and see where we want to go with these. And Phil... So, basically, Phil doing that high vocal he had done fucked him up a bit. And plus, he was doing all the drinking on top of it. Didn't you know? So it didn't really help his case, and he wasn't able to get his voice to do what he was trying to get it to do. Uh, he gets really frustrated, and Daryl takes him outside. He's like, "Look, man, why don't you smoke this joint, and then we'll go back in and we'll we'll hit it exactly the way we're trying to." You're just way too stressed out. So he does. Comes back in, and Terry said that there was just a look in his eye, like something had changed. And he came back in, and we started nailing these tracks the way we were looking to. Damn. So they they you know they're going into work they're doing all these different tracks and we're at about ah, you know we're we're getting down to it they're almost done they get a call all right Anthony what kind of call a, do you think they got it's a call from Chris Cornell yes Chris Cornell and they were hired on by Soundgarden <laughs> they just oh god uh, so anyway. No, they get a call, uh, as, as I said, they're just about done, and they're invited to go to a show in Russia. Ooh. Yeah. You remember what happened with the last time they went into uh, into Europe? Didn't go so well. But Mark Ross, uh, kind of like their PR kind of guy, he ends up finding a thing that they're doing a show in Russia because 
uh, it's right before the fall of Russia to the diplo uh, the diplomatic reign that it had uh, that it has now. I guess you could put it. Uh, it was back when all that was the Iron Curtain basically was falling, and they held a giant show. They had Metallica and ACDC were people that were signed on for it. Pantera gets offered, and they say, "Fuck it, yes, let's do it. Let's show these guys what we have coming." They and uh, they end up going to Monsters of Moscow and playing in front of over 500,000 people. <laughs> they were like they were one of the opening acts of the entire thing. Damn. Yeah, they played and they fucking killed it. Like I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, you know, all those wrestling people yeah. Especially oh my after God, that, that was they were, they were like dying for new stuff. <laughs> oh, that that's exactly it. Is by the time this happened, there's actually a the, I believe they call it. I believe it's called Videos from Hell. Uh, it actually has their full lineup set. You can watch. Uh, you can find them on YouTube too. Uh, but anyway, yeah, Russia had not heard anything other than their own Russian music and what was approved for them. So as soon as this came, they fucking ate it alive because it was something different. Interesante, uh, interesante. Indeed. And they come back. Do you think they had any money? Uh, well, no. <laughs> exactly. No, they're still broke as shit. So, uh, Phil and Rex had actually bought an apartment across the street from the studio, and they had cut a hole in the fence, and they would just walk over, do the recording, go home. Uh, and Rex said they actually had a, we knew, that they knew a guy at the 7-Eleven that they'd walk down to after recording, and he'd give them sandwiches and beer. Because they didn't Dude. have any money. <laughs> Hook me up with that 7-Eleven. Give me a Slurpee and all that. Uh... Now, uh, now shall we go into the cover art for this album? Of course. The, the iconic man getting the shit punched out of his face. <laughs> yeah, dude, that, that fucking punch right there. Who is that man? And who's we'll the hairy that. arm? I'm glad you asked all that. So, at first, they're giving some pictures of some boxers and fights. Because the boys said, yeah, we want to have a guy getting punched in the face. Like, he's just getting jacked on the street. They're like, eh, I don't know about jacked that. <laughs> no, not jacked off. No, they they literally put it that they wanted to look like a street fight. Like some dude just walking and he just got jacked in the middle of the street. This is what we're looking for. So they had the boxers. Phil and Tom was actually a huge boxing fan. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And um, they turned it down. They're like, no, this isn't what we wanted. This isn't what we just told you. <laughs> And they're like, well, what the hell do you want? You want me to just get some guy off the street and get a, have him get hit in the face? Like, I can't do that. you fucking kidding me. Terry's like freaking out. Like, I can't get to some random guy. What the fuck you want from me? <laughs> Meanwhile, you have to think of the peer pressure of these four fucking Southerners that are there with you. And these are like the guys who just, they start fights for no reason. They're constantly getting drunk. They're all just shouting, flinging beer at you. Like, get a guy. We're going to get a guy. <laughs> like, no, I can't. I don't know what the hell you want from me. <laughs> Y'all going to fight? Huh. Now, there is a rumor that started, thanks to Vinnie Paul and Rex, <laughs> that the cover of the album was given to a fan uh, who got paid ten dollars for getting uh, per punch and got punched over thirty times? <laughs> you did ten dollars per punch. Yes, three hundred dollars. And then Rex Brown said, "No, it's actually thirty-two times." <laughs> they just oh. kept adding to it. 
Oh, uh, but like I thought it was fucking hilarious. Uh, in reality, uh, Bruce Bruce Goyce, uh, the professional photographer who they had do the shoot, uh, actually had put out a request for a model, a long-haired model. He's like at the time, the early '90s, that was really popular. It wasn't that hard to find somebody? We get this guy in, get and uh, off of Dawson's Creek. <laughs> well, they get this guy in, and uh, turns out that. The the guy on the cover photo and the photographer there are actually best friends now. He was he was his best man in his wedding. Uh, so he said, "What ended up happening is this kid comes in. He's like fresh from L.A. He's just kind of doing his thing. And uh, what we did is we had someone take their fist and shove it into his face really hard. He didn't get punched. We just made it really hard, and he would contort his face a little bit. And then we had a fan behind him that blew his hair just right." Uh, to give it the look like he just got the shit kicked out of him. Could you imagine that? Oh man, I'm part of the Pantera cover. Are you guys got punched? No, I'm blowing his hair. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, fun fact: the real photo, he actually used a red light. Uh, that the way uh, I've actually, if you you can actually see the original photo. It look, it do, I do agree with him. It does look very cool uh, for a vulgar display on power being in red. If you had had the red light, it just it would you know it would have been more popping. So he was a little bit, uh, he was a little saddened by the fact that they turned it black and white and pixelated. But it has become one of the most iconic album covers to ever exist now. Especially once they started that rumor, like, yeah, an elder dude got punched like 30 fucking times. It was crazy. <laughs> Weird. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Vinny and Rex started and persisted the rumors, as I said. Uh, and they'd been, they'd been going on for years. Uh, they they just keep it going. They always thought it was fun. Uh, so we get lower display of power, and for all intents and purposes, it changed metal forever. They had heavier vocals. They could drum in uh, the way they could tum uh, the guitar and drums. I'm tripping over my own words. Uh, all of it coming together along with the slapping boom of the bass was something that most metal bands have adopted since then. Uh, what we end up getting here, ladies and gentlemen, in my own professional, in my own professionalized words, what this album did to metal is exactly what Black Sabbath did in 1970, 22 years before it. This album changed metal. <laughs> this album, like the 1970 debut of Black Sabbath, changed the face of metal. And even Phil Ensemble has gone on to say that he didn't realize the amount of impact that this album would have on people, and for as long as it did. But hey, before crazy. that, before that, to before celebrate that. closing mm-hmm. out this album, they took Terry Date's car on a little joyride. They uh, they were fucked, and they went driving around the block, running over mailboxes. <laughs> <laughs> Phil said. Just- we were surprised the radiator didn't explode or we went to jail and were fucking insane. So they pull the car up, smoking full of massive damages, and at which point Terry fucking exploded on them. Oh, is this me? Yo, this is you, Anthony. This is your big Oh, uh, okay, okay. I'm just, I'll get my acting chops ready. <clears throat> Man, I'm gonna have to pay for this, and the fucking label's gonna fire me. No, no, that was bad, that was bad, that was bad. Um, <laughs> man, I'm gonna have to pay for this, and the fucking label's gonna fire me. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> 
At which point Phil replied to him, "Don't worry, we're gonna we're gonna buy it all for you with this record, man. We're gonna finish this record and we're gonna pay for a new car." You're all wait, gonna- wait, wait, wait. I'm so, I'm sorry to interrupt, but you mean the band that's made no money is gonna <laughs> buy him a new car? <laughs> yes, the vulgar display okay. of power is released February twenty fifth, nineteen ninety two. Yeah. The album tops number 44 on the top 50 in the Billboard charts in the U.S. It gets to about 65 on the Billboard chart in Europe, so they top, they actually end up on the board this time. In Europe, they hadn't even gotten that far. And here in the U.S., they hit top 50, something they hadn't done before. This album was a new high point for them. Uh, Phil says nowadays, he goes, uh, seeing kids who grew up with the album before, uh, who grew up with the album because of their dads that listened to it before them is just so amazing to me that it's been over 20 years and I still see kids that are just rapid bad Terra fans all because their dad listened to the album. It's fucking amazing. I mean, hey, that's how it happens. Indeed. Uh, another famous song off this album was This Love, uh, which actually trended on MTV and even appeared on Beavis and Butthead in their little uh, music video skits. Come to Butthead. Uh, so that's something that ends up going well for him because MTV, again, they had a couple of music videos. Uh, this Love is another one that just started really taking off for them. Uh, they also have Walk off of this album. Everyone and their fucking brother knows Walk. It's used everywhere now. Uh, that got him big radio success, and because they made a video, it started trending on MTV as well. So ha 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 ha. Man, back when MTV used to play music. That is correct. Nowadays, it just tells you what the Kardashians are up to and shit. Uh, so July of that year, so this is 1992, and to put you in the mindset of 92, uh, Nirvana's Nevermind album is selling about 300,000 copies, Got Rage Against the Machine doing their thing. Uh, Guns N' Roses started a fucking riot. (laughs) That was terrible. Like, it was a massive riot. And it's because he refused to play a show. And a giant fucking riot broke out. Because uh, Guns N' Roses wasn't going to play to the concert that they everyone had paid for. It was fucking insanity. And out of left field comes Pantera with vulgar display of power. Just this (laughs) in-your-face music that everyone to this day marks as their favorite album or an album that truly inspired them in their music career. For this album... If you're a metalhead like me, Anthony Seth, I know you're not as much of one, but I appreciate you listening to the songs anyway. Listening to it, it has a lot of tones of things that you, you'd still hear today, that you still do hear today. And it, it sounds like a newer album. It's just, they, they were ahead of their time on this one, I, I have to say. And they knew what uh, they were doing. Indeed. And uh, the album does so well, uh, they actually sold, uh, I believe, 2 million copies? Yeah, so... Top damn. They've sold more than 2 million copies here in the U.S., uh, and in the U.K., made it to uh, number 64, uh, and it sold in excess of 100,000 copies. So, yeah, it did quite well for them. 
Yeah, uh, that's Christmas. yeah. And July so of that year. How much year, money do they have? How much oh, money we'll, did they we'll have? That. Don't you, don't you think? <laughs> hey, man, you got to pay for that beer. Just hang on a second. So, July of that year, they actually tour in Japan for the first time. Oh. Yeah, first time they'd I'm, ever gone to Japan. I can only imagine the shit they got into. Yeah, that's a whole you different know? culture. <laughs> hey, you know. Uh, then they also got invited to uh, over to Italy, and they took part of Monsters hey. of Rock, where they co-headlined with Iron Maiden and Black Sabbath. Co-headlined oh, cool. with Iron Maiden and Black Sabbath. Yeah, these are the same people that were booed off the stage, right? Yes. These are the same people that just a year before had been booed off of the stage by people. Because, like, boo, nobody wants you here in Europe. You guys suck. And now <laughs> it's co-headlining with Iron Maiden and Black Sabbath. <laughs> like, they hit a whole new level here. Uh, they'd become an entity in the 90s metal scene forever, as we've been mentioning here. Uh, and with this new stage, where do you uh, where do you guys think that they went? To the because uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, got the raw edge. <laughs> well, some bands go into retirement and they just reap the benefits of, of a huge success. Like they could have just sold out, like some people, been like, "Oh man, these are gonna make money forever." Well, I don't have to do anything anymore. And some people do. Let's admit it. There's a lot of people to do that. Uh, yeah, these guys doubled down. <laughs> They didn't stop there. They didn't want to stop there. They doubled down and put their aim sights on a heavier, even heavier album than what they had just done. Ooh. And what album is that? uh, Well, well, hang on. uh, But, you know, obviously getting there, they've made a lot more money. They've gotten a lot bigger. And, uh, you know, things happen. Not to interrupt, but eight dollars more than money than they've made. <laughs> well, with this, uh, you know, a lot of things start to happen, and a lot of problems start to rise to the surface uh, through the making of their next album. Um, but that's where we'll be picking up on part three next Monday when we start Ooh. when we delve into the world of Far Beyond Driven and the Great Southern Trend Kill, which. I gotta tell you, the Great Southern Trend Kill was an ironic name. <laughs> Things got it really was... bad. <laughs> uh, but something notable that happens in this time, going into the next album, I wanted to mention before we do our clo- our ending stuff here. Uh, there's a song on the next album called Five Minutes Alone, and it's inspired because a show during this touring, before they make their next album, uh, a kid gets hurt. And he, his father oh. sues the band, uh, at which point the father states in his letter, I wish I could get Phil Anselmo, that Phil Anselmo guy, five minutes alone to teach him a lesson. At which point Terry Date responded, you don't want five minutes alone with him. Trust me, you don't want <laughs> to even be anywhere near him alone. Uh, and that inspired the song that would come on this next album. I have to break the 
You, I think that I can take on Dwayne the Rock Johnson in a fight. <laughs> You're dead, sir. You're dead. Today's morning news. You're fucking dead. So, <laughs> uh, but thank you all. Uh, I know that uh, you know we probably could extend a little bit longer, but uh, the things that are going to come next are going to take too much time. So we'll cover it next week. Uh, and then we'll have a final part that wraps up where everybody went, what was going on after Pantera, stuff like that. Um, Anthony. Yes, sir. What are you doing with CLT? Well, I'm glad you asked. We're doing, I got a uh, fun little title, and I'll just reveal the title for everyone oh. out there, see if they can figure it out. Title it's, reveal? Oh, fuck, I forgot the title. Damn. Don't Wait, open an anchor right now, because it's already... It's ready to be uploaded, but it will be uploaded on Wednesday as it normally is. But episodes, it is called, and wait for my internet to load anchor, um, 180 Degrees of Pure Mystery. Well, that doesn't help. (laughs) (laughs) Seth, it's more helpful than you realize, sir. Do you not understand the pun? Do you not Uh, remember math? No, I wasn't really good at math. I wasn't either, so I'm not. We're not good at math. That's a Jokey Pants Truth. You can catch my Jokey Pants Truth segment over on Jeez, Fireside Jared, Chats that we did Saturday. Fucking... <laughs> That's a Jokey Pants Truth. It's a thing. I'm making it a thing. Go check out Fireside Chats we had last week. We had HR Bomber on. A lot of fun. Uh, and check him out over on Gaming Beyond the Box. He's a really cool guy. Uh, we'd like to have all those yeah. guys on. Uh, so it's fun when he was able to be on. Uh, he was a bomb to have. Now, how, <laughs> hey, Anthony. Now, has yeah. there any, been any stories about Mothman in recent years? Or uh, is it still shit. pretty old? Um, recently, not. I mean, yes. Uh, how far is recent to you? Oh, okay, look, let's just go with, like, with the, the last with the last 20 years, all right? I yes. mean, that, that's pretty recent, right? Yes. Um, the earliest one I can think of it as uh, probably well, the most recent one I can think of offhand is nine eleven. Wait, what? Nine eleven. Already yes. then. Nine. Then was seen. Eleven. Eleven. <laughs> um. Yeah, nine yeah, eleven be the last time I believe. I believe Anthony's right. If I if I remember that episode correctly. Um. So no, go check out CLT Sandwiches coming Wednesday. Go check out the last Fireside Chat. Um, something that I mentioned with Anthony before is uh, they're talking about making a bisexual Wolverine. I don't know how I feel about that. Uh, I mean, I'm not. I mean, I'm not like I don't have a problem with with it. It's more I have a problem. With what the fuck are you even gonna do with that information? How is that gonna play into anything? I, you know, I, I, don't I don't have a problem know. with it. I do have a problem with uh, uh, what's it called? Man, I was gonna make a fucking joke and uh, the shining. Well, <laughs> well, you know what makes but that a problem? They, but didn't they already make of Wolverine by and all those Pornhub videos? Well, here's the thing: the way uh, Anthony explained it is that he and another thing he has like a relationship with Hercules, and get this in another universe. Yeah, get this. There's talk that The Rock was talked to 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 reprise his role as Hercules for the MCU. That is Please stupid. take that in for a minute. <laughs> this is a weird one. 
It's a weird time we're living in. Strange times indeed. We might see The Rock getting it out with some other dude. <laughs> so dude, weird by some other alive. dude, you mean Daniel Radcliffe, right? <laughs> <laughs> He's about to get the Sorcerer's Stone again. This time it's going to be the sor- uh, what is that? The Sorcerer Rock? Uh, yeah, yeah, the Sorcerer's Stone. Yeah, yeah. So he's about to get the sorcerer's rock now. That's not your wand, Harry. <laughs> it's John William Defoe. We can't make that joke again. But it's a Harry oh. wand. Jesus fucking Christ! All no, right, so you can check us. Out. <laughs> you can check us out over on Infocast, uh, or sorry, you can check out our friends Infocast <laughs> Five Thousand. Uh, they have a they have a whole episodes about tattoos. Uh, they are taking a break right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they do suggest you go listen to the old ones, so I'll tell you to. Yeah, um, I suggest that as well. <laughs> Look at us being good people. Being good Samaritans. We're the next Wolverine. Anybody can be Wolverine. <laughs> <laughs> Tubes. Uh, but check us out at... If anything we've discovered over the last few weeks, is talking Wolverine. is fucking hard. This Wolverine thing is fucking with me now. Why did that have to be? Why did that have to be a thing? Anyway, check. I think we need a few more beers. A few more beers down the goat. <laughs> oh god! Uh, so check us out at at Oddcast and on Twitter. Check us out Oddcast Network on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, and you can also shoot us an email oddcastmedia@gmail.com or check us out at oddcastnetwork.com or and reach us anywhere. Uh, so. Go have fun with that. We're going to have some new merch coming soon, so keep your eyes out for that as well. Uh, we might be donating to a good cause. You never know what we might do. Uh, stay odd. Stay happy. Stay strong. Seth, do you have any final statement? <sighs> Wear some sunscreen. I mean, it's sunny out there. Just make wow. sure you put some damn sunscreen on. Yeah, this is your public like service announcement. The other day. I think get high 90s tomorrow here. Yeah, it's... Uh... Getting hot out. Welcome to the yeah, summertime. Loving love in the summertime. I'll fucking kill you. <laughs> I love you all. Goodbye. Hey, guys. If you enjoyed the show, you can go over to oddcastnetwork.com. That's right, oddcastnetwork.com. You can go over there and check out the other shows that we're doing. And you can also go check out patreon.com slash oddcast to help support the show. Until next time, y'all stay odd and stay happy. <laughs>